0: I'm going to pray. Lord God, thank you for this day. Thank you for these men. Lord, thank you for getting us up this morning, bringing us here. Lord, thank you for a heart that desires holiness and a a desire to worship you and serve you. Shepherd our hearts more. Um, Lord, help us to be able to lead our homes well. Help us to uh, just know how to be better husbands, better men, um, servants of you. Lord, help us to Serve you well this upcoming week, Lord, as I go through um, just a brief devotional. God, speak through me, uh, penetrate hearts to this morning, Lord. Uh, in your name, amen. So I have kind of a handout out in the back. Um, so when you guys break, if you didn't grab one beforehand, when you break for discussion, um, grab it. I think it's four pages, uh, it's a prayer guide. Um, and what I, during one of the lessons, I think it was the Paul's Gospel ministry lesson. I walked through the deacon qualifications briefly. Um, And so, what I wanted to do today was actually walk through why I think it's important for every man to strive for deacon qualification. Um, And so, let's start um, by just opening up to Philippians 1 and read verses 1 through 5. One, just the very beginning. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus, to all of the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. When you look at verse 1, he kind of categorizes the body into three groups. Um, the saints, everyone, all the believers in the church. And then he makes sure to emphasize that he's including the overseers and the deacons. Um, the, these are three groups within the church, um, and Paul personally and corporately thinks through them. And so as we look at those groups, the category, the subcategories of elders and deacons, I want to briefly just kind of define them. Um, elders are personally committed to everything in this passage, um, and their job is to lead the body into that. Um, and then the deacons are a servant leadership group, a subset within the body, that their job is to serve the body. And the, the whole purpose of that is to effectively participate in the gospel mission. And so if we look at a church, and we try to define what do we look for in a church, we obviously look for a church that wants to live out a gospel mission. Um, But we need to look for a church that has elders that lead towards that gospel mission, and deacons that are servants towards that gospel mission. Uh, It it seems like a, a lot of churches today don't define those roles as clearly. Um, And yet, Paul, it was just assumed in this passage. Like, I'm talking to the church, and these are subsets within the church. Um, And so what I want to do now is go back to Acts 6 and talk about kind of the, the prototypical deacons. I was never good at sword drills, so. I have to sing the whole song in my head until I get to the book every time. (laughs) Sorry. In my head. Josh leads worship if you want him (laughs) to later. All right, let's let's just start at verse 1 it says now at this time while the disciples were increasing in number a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in daily serving of food so the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said it is not desirable for us to neglect the Word of God in order to serve tables therefore brethren select from among you seven men of good reputation full of spirit and of wisdom "...whom we may put in charge of this task, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word." And the statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Porf- Prochorus, and seven other guys, six other guys. <laughs> and these they brought before the apostles, and after praying they laid hands on them. And the word of God kept spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem." And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. So this was really the institution of the first deacons. And if you look at it, the elders were devoting themselves to the word of God in prayer. And they needed servants to serve within the body. And there were criteria, even here, even before the criteria we'll look at in a second was established. And so if you look at that criteria, it's in verse 3. It says, seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, um, and men who can be put in charge of a task. Um, And so these are things that I think every man should strive for. Uh, We can all be men of good reputation. And when you think about it, if the the purpose of the church, and there's a a purpose in the church of gospel ministry being pushed out, like we talked about in Philippians 1, um, if we're not that way, our gospel proclamation is destroyed. And we, I know every single one of us stumble at work, either lose our temper, um, are short with people, uh, don't, I could be quick to complaining. There's things that we do at work that destroy our gospel proclamation. And when you talk, talk about the gospel with people after those moments, you know your reputation's been scarred, and the reputation of the gospel's been scarred. And so when we look at the qualifications here, Um, think about how living those out or not living those out will affect your gospel proclamation so let's go to 1st Timothy 3 (coughs) way deep in the song (laughs) thank you thank you John i'll just go backwards second timothy first timothy oh my bookmarks in that one no, they those Bibles with yeah that's cheating <laughs> all right so starting in verse eight um in the context, he's just given the qualifications for elders, and then he says deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the ministry of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested and then let them serve as deacons if they are above reproach. So there's a discussion here in verse 8 and 9 that talk about some of the qualifications for deacons Um, and actually I'll skip down to 12 it says deacons must be husbands of only one wife good managers of their children and their own households for those who serve as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith in Christ Jesus when you look at verse 10 this kind of correlates to act six where it talks about the the congregation proposing men to be deacons and and these men had been tested they had been proven as being men of good reputation and so this isn't something where you become a christian and immediately you step into a deacon role but you actually are tested and your faith is tested and you're shown to have a high respect and a good standing within the body um John MacArthur says those who serve God well and see his power and grace operative in their lives will be emboldened for even greater service. And so we want at any point in our Christian walk to be serving God well and to be proving ourselves as tested. Um, So how do we get there? Uh, To start prayer. Prayer intentional prayer around these things and that's what the, the guide is. This is something Scott made years ago like maybe in the first build um, and it's a prayer guide that takes you day by day through one of the qualifications and I think the intentionality around both praying every morning for that qualification and then thinking about that qualification throughout the day is the best way to become deacon qualified because as you pray, and walk through the day, you're, it's it's going to stand out to you every time you stumble in this area. And it's subtle. Um, so I'm going to read uh, day two, which are Tuesdays, uh, which is double-tongued. Um, and I'm just going to read through this prayer before we break. And I just want you guys to think through and, <coughs> and examine how in your last week have you been double-tongued. And just make it a practice to be thinking through this um, and so that's that's kind of the other the other way to, to become deacon qualified is to be mindful of the qualifications on a daily basis um, holiness is important these things are important these things improve your gospel proclamation and and so you want to be mindful and then the last way just serve serve wherever you can um, be tested I pulled right now we have a dozen deacons Um, raise your hand if you've been a deacon or are a deacon currently in the body I've been a deacon we need more we this church needs so much service and it starts with qualified men it doesn't start with the need and so we need to be striving to be qualified men so that we can then fill the needs so let me read this. The qualification is, is double-tongued. It says, Lord, I desire your work in my life in such a way that I will be proven faithful and above reproach as I help advance the gospel of my church, so that my church might increasingly glorify you in its mission. Grant me courage and humility to position my life and ministry so that my elders may better know me, my character, and my giftedness. Help my elders to be full of your grace truth and wisdom as they measure your work in my life so that they might best determine the ministry you desire me to serve in this body. Today, Heavenly Father, work in my life so I may not be double-tongued. Not being double-tongued means that I do not have two tongues. To be this kind of man, God, I need to be intimately aware of your presence in every conversation. Please enable me to remember you are my primary audience and hear of every word that I say to anyone else. For then and only then will my speech have integrity and will I become more trustworthy. Heavenly Father, if upon examination of my conversations today, discrepancies arise because I made different representations to different people, I will confess those to you and seek your forgiveness and others' forgiveness is, is needed. Again, God, my representations of events to remain, again, God, help my representations of events to remain the same, even though my human audience changes. Since I am in a position where I have leadership over me and servants under me, help me to not speak one thing in one way to one group and something different to the other. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. By your grace and power, enable me to serve you and your people well. If any high standing may come my way because you are increasingly helping me to not be double-tongued in my service, may you be praised by all and above all. And please increase my go- confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ so that I may be emboldened in my gospel.
1: This, uh, this morning, we're going to talk about marriage. It's one of my favorite topics. Uh, I'd love to just see by show of hand who is not married. Okay, just wanted to rub that in your face real quick. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Who's been married for a year or longer? Okay, five years or longer. 10 years or longer 15 years 18 years 20 years 25 years 30 years did i just say 30 35 years <laughs> Forty years? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Forty-five yeah. years? <laughs> Whoa, all right. Come on up here, and I'm just going to let you... <laughs> I, don't... I don't think I have anything to say. We'll just well, let no, you no, talk. Let you after
0: married for 45 years I don't know nothing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's... <good>. that's... <laughs>
1: That's the true wisdom displayed right there. If you put
0: the two together, have more to share than anyone because I have two different spouses.
1: Two different spouses. All right. You can talk to Ashley about that later and get all the insight there. Well, marriage is one of my favorite things to talk about. Aside from salvation, uh, my wife, Julie, is God's greatest gift to me. And we've been married almost 18 years. And It's just an unbelievable joy to get to be her husband and um, to get to navigate life together. And so marriage is something that's near and dear to my heart. I love it. I'm excited to talk about some biblical imperatives for marriage, uh, God's instruction for the believer and how that impacts how we should think about marriage this morning. And as we start to consider these biblical imperatives for marriage, It's important just to think the big picture of what every single Christian is called to be about. Every single Christian has a divine calling from God to live for the glory of God. We've even seen that recently in our study in Romans, Romans 12, that in light of all of the wonderful things of what God has done in the gospel and all of the nuances of the gospel put forth in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, we get to chapter 12 and we see this call to present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. (laughs) To live A life worshipfully for the glory of God. To commit yourself to God in service. And as we consider this call for the believer, we must understand how this call for the believer, that all of our life would be for the glory of God, impacts how we step into our marriages. You see, the goal of our marriage is not to have a strife-free marriage. The ultimate goal is not to have a long marriage. The goal is to have a God glorifying marriage. It is to have a worshipful life. You see, you might be able to avoid conflict within your marriage. You might be able to do this and yet not actually care for your heart and not glorify God. Unbelievers have long marriages. Unbelievers at times can have a strife free marriage, but an unbeliever cannot please the Lord in their marriage. And that should be the desire for each one of us who are married to please the Lord in our marriage. So what is God's instruction regarding marriage that would help guide us in pleasing the Lord? Well, first of all, we need to understand that marriage is a beautiful institution. It is something that is a gift from the Lord for us to enjoy, for him to bring glory to himself. And then sometimes there's a temptation to think of marriage as something that is hard or burdensome or difficult. Uh, Maybe you've heard marriage talked about in this way, or, or even framed in a negative light, your wife, oh, the old ball and chain, as if A wife brings some sort of restrictions to what is good into your life, or a wife brings something that is difficult and hard into your life. And this just isn't how God talks about marriage. Marriage is is demonstrated to be something that is wonderful. It's, It's communicated by God as something that is a gift from him. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. We shouldn't fear marriage. Rather, we should fear God. What's scary about marriage, what is difficult about marriage, is not the institution of marriage. But it's our own sinfulness that we bring to the table. And this is crucial to understand at the forefront of thinking about marriage that whenever we find ourselves in conflict or turmoil or difficulty or strife, the problem isn't marriage. And we need some sort of solution to the problem of marriage. No, the problem is our own sinfulness, and we need to repent. We need to repent. The problem is our sinfulness, our deceitful heart, our selfishness, our impure motives, our expectations. There may be a temptation when we sin to say marriage is hard. No, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Marriage is great and wonderful. And what is hard about marriage is only hard because of what we bring into it. So as we consider these biblical imperatives for marriage, we're going to look at various biblical uh, instructions that aid us as we seek to navigate our marriage in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. And Tom actually started with 50 imperatives. I think they were to go along with the 50 things you're supposed to write out that you're thankful for with your wife. And he dwindled it down to 30 and then... Last year, I got to teach this lesson, and so for the simplicity of my mind, I tried to rearrange and adjust a little bit, and we've got it down to 11, and, um, and so we're going to try to work through those in the, the next hour or so. Now, sometimes when we hear imperatives, we think, oh, great, another thing I have to do. I thought marriage was good, and now you're giving me imperatives, commands, instructions. This is difficult. And I just want you to think about First John 5, 3 for a moment. First John 5, 3 says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Mm-hmm. These biblical imperatives, these things that we're going to see, this instruction from God's word, they're not burdensome. These are actually evidences of God's kindness and care for us to give us instruction that leads us into doing what is good. Sometimes we might give our children instruction or give somebody under our authority instruction, and there's kind of mixed things within that instruction. They might receive good from following that instruction, but it's not as good as maybe if we had thought out that instruction better. With God, the instruction that he gives us is always best. It's always best. There's no other instruction that could be better. There's no other alternative than the instruction from God that would create a better outcome for his glory and our good. God's instruction is always best. And so these biblical imperatives that we're going to look at, these instructions from scripture that we're going to look at, these are only going to aid us in bringing glory to God and being pleasing to him. Now, what if you are single? Just briefly for you, these imperatives, many of them are not wife-specific. These are actually believer-specific. Many of these is how believers are to conduct themselves with others. And then how much more for those of us who are married should our our wives be the primary recipient of what God calls us to be as men of God? But if you're single, you don't have to wait to start practicing these principles within the body of Christ. If we're called to love our wives and you're single today, work hard to love others in a biblical manner, in a self-sacrificial manner. It also would be foolish to think that you would give no thought to any of God's instruction regarding what it means to be a godly husband, and then you would someday step into a marriage and be able to just catapult into that marriage in a God-honoring way from day one. No, think on these things. Pray through these things. Cultiv- cultivate this kind of disposition and eagerness to embrace who God calls you to be. So, with all of that... Let's step into these biblical imperatives. Number one in your outline is love your wife. Love your wife. Ephesians five twenty five, And I actually want to read uh, through 33. Go ahead and turn there. Turn to Ephesians 5. The imperatives are uh, particularly in verse 25, 28 and 33, but we're just going to read 25 through 33. It says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ in the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. We must love our wives. Love our wives. How? Well, first, letter A, by loving her in the same way Christ loves the church. We must love our wives in the same way that Christ loves the church. And here's the kicker. To love your wife this way, you must know the love of Christ. You must know Christ's love. You must look to his perfect example. How important is it then that we shepherd our hearts well in our service and care for our wife by looking to Christ? If we're to love our wife... And Christ is the example in his love for the church. We must shepherd our hearts to look at the love of Christ, to look at God's care. This is crucial that we shepherd our hearts well with the love of Christ. We must look to Christ. We must saturate our hearts and our minds with the gospel. We must never get tired of gazing at the amazing love of Christ in the gospel. We must love her in the same way Christ loves the church, which was an eagerness, a willingness to lay down our lives for our wife. Letter B, by making Christ's example of love your standard of love, we look to Christ, we see his example of love, and that is our standard of love. Anything less than God's standard of love demonstrated through Christ will not do will not do just consider john fifteen twelve. this is my commandment that you love one another just as i have loved you this is the call for the believer with every other believer and how much so should it be for us in our love for our wife that christ would be our example that christ would be our standard There's no conditions that we can set upon our love for our wives. This is a a selfless love for our our wife. This is an unrestricted love for our wife, unconditional love for our wife. There's nothing that she needs to do to merit this kind of love for us. When we walk into our homes, there's nothing that she needs to have completed within the house in order for us to then exhibit love for her. In fact, if you just consider Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated his love for us when we were what? Helpless, godless, sinners. That's when Christ laid down his life for us and Christ is to be our example. Therefore, we don't step into our homes and if our wife merits our love, we exhibit it towards her. You see, when we were at our worst, God gave us his best in his son, it has been said, and there is just never an instance where our wife's behavior or her disposition or her performance on any given day gets us off the hook from showing this sacrificial love to her. And it's also important to realize that this love that we're to show to her must be God's love. It must be God's definition of love. We're not to step into our home with all of the things that we've learned about love in the world and love her with that kind of love. This can't be a, a, a Romans twelve two where we actually have allowed ourselves to be squeezed into the pattern of this world kind of love. This needs to be an otherworldly love, a supernatural love, a Christ like love where we love sacrificially, where we give generously, where we die to ourselves. Next, we must follow Christ as our role model. This is letter C. We follow Christ as our role model. He's the example. He's our role model. We set aside the focus of giving primarily for ourselves. We turn away from ourselves. We turn away from selfishness. We turn away from trying to control our wives or manipulate our wife or gratify ourselves or being preoccupied with self. No, we give of ourselves and we do this unconditionally in the same way that Christ loves and accepts the believer without condition. The imperative here is not conduct yourself in a way that gets your wife to love you. The standard is for you to love your spouse in the way God defines love. And there's just no condition on this. We are to be the initiators of Christ-like love within our home. This is what we're called to be. There's no room for holding grudges in this kind of love. There's no conditions on this kind of love. There's no room for silent treatment in this kind of love. There's no room for raising our voices to get her to do what we want or to make sure she understands our point in this kind of love. No, this is a laying down your life without expectation in return. This is what God calls us to do. This isn't a, I'll change this many diapers if you clean this many dishes. This is an eagerness, a zealousness for what is good and right in giving of ourselves for the benefit of our spouse, regardless of her response. That's letter E. We love by God's standard of love, regardless of her response. Others don't get to dictate the love that you're to show to your spouse. A love test doesn't dictate what kind of love we show to our spouse. Determining her love language is not the primary means of what we're accountable to in our love for our spouse. We are accountable to the Lord, and he has said very clearly what love is and has demonstrated perfectly what love looks like in his death on behalf of all who would believe just consider first corinthians 13 1 through 7 for a moment and and just to to paraphrase to help us understand how this would look in our marriage you could say it this way in your marriage you must be patient toward your wife well, what does love look like you must be kind to your wife You you must not be jealous or envious of your wife. If your wife gets to take a nap and you're exhausted, don't grow bitter in your heart because the kids need help. And she took a nap. Oh, you took a nap. I didn't get to. No, go serve. Don't be jealous or envious. Do not be boastful. Do do not be rude with your wife. Do not be self-seeking toward your wife. Do not be easily angered by your wife. Do not keep a record of wrongs against your wife. Do not delight in evil with your wife. You are to bear all things with your wife. You you must believe all things with your wife. You hope all things. You endure all things. This is the first biblical imperative to love your wife. And this is really a foundational one. A lot of these imperatives overlap and relate closely with one another. But this is the foundational starting point for us as husbands, for us as men of God, that we would be lovers of others and our wives should be the primary recipient of that love. Number two, the next biblical imperative is accept your wife. Accept your wife. Romans fifteen seven says, Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Well, what does this mean? Letter A, you should die to self-interest and self-protection. You accept your wife for who she is, and you die to self-interest and self-protection by daily dying to self-will and seeking God's will in the same way Christ did as a demonstration of his love and servant's heart. Accept the wife the Lord gave you. When you step into your home, what does your wife sense from you? When you're with your wife and you're just chatting, what does she sense from you? Is there a preoccupation in you with getting your wife to change to your preferences? Or is there an unwavering commitment on your part to embrace who God calls you to be in an overwhelming sense of contentment and joy and thankfulness on your part for who your wife is? B, you must love her and accept her as she is rather than demanding that she change to please you. Your number one priority is not changing your wife, but to be who God calls you to be in your marriage. You can never change your wife. You just can't. You don't have that kind of power. You can't change your wife. You can shepherd your wife. You can serve your wife. You can die to yourself for your wife. And you do all of these things independently of who she is or how she is treating you. But you might think, Josh, if I I do this, she'll win. You don't know how she treats me. You don't know her faults like I do. She needs to change. That may well be. She might need to be sanctified. You really need to be sanctified. And your obligation is not to control your wife but to control yourself, to conduct yourself in a manner that's pleasing to the Lord. You accept the wife that God has given you, and then you conduct yourself in the manner that God calls you to with her. There might be times of admonishment. There might be times of correction. But your goal in those things is not to change her. Your goal in those things is to be faithful to who God calls you to be. Listen, marriages can be hard. They start in different points. You may be a believer and your wife isn't. You might have gotten married when you were both non-believers and you're at different points in your sanctification. But you need to be ready at every turn to respond in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. In whatever circumstance you find yourself in in your marriage, if you have a marriage where there is just never any strife, or if every day is full of strife and difficulty, your call before the Lord is to be faithful to what he calls you to be, and he will give you all that you need to do that. Just think of 1 Peter 2.21. You can actually turn there. Turn to 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled... He did not revile in return while suffering. He uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Verse 24. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. What a a sweet expression of love by Christ. Who suffered injustice. And he could have stopped it. But yet he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. Here the instruction is suffering for the sake of the gospel amidst persecution. But listen, if you find yourself conducting yourself in your marriage in a God-honoring way, and it's not being received in an ideal way by your spouse, you can trust the Lord with that. You can trust the Lord with that. And are you ready to not repay evil with evil in those times in your marriage? Are you ready to be slandered in your home and not defend yourself? To die to your own interests and desires, to lay down defenses of yourself for the sake of loving and serving and cherishing your wife? Are you ready in your marriage to humbly keep entrusting yourself to the one who judges righteously? The reality is that if we feel at times persecuted in our marriages... We're probably delusional. It's not a one-way thing in our marriages. With Christ, it was one way. He was only ever perfect and yet received mistreatment. We are absolutely not perfect in our marriages. We are not blameless. With Christ, it was a complete injustice that Jesus was treated the way that he was. And I can guarantee you that in us not being blameless, it is never a complete injustice if our Thanks. wife doesn't treat us just as we desire. <clears throat> you have sinned. I have sinned in our marriages. And yet to realize that in those moments where things aren't going well, where communication is different, a uh, difficult, where you're missing each other, when your wife isn't seeing clearly, you don't need to control her or get her to see things your way. You need to be what God calls you to be. You need to love her. You need to accept her. You need to serve her. And you need to humbly entrust yourself to God in that moment. Number three. Biblical imperative number three. Lay down your life for your wife. Lay down your wife. Lay down your life. Yes. Lay down your life for your wife. Second Corinthians five fifteen, and he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Are you willing to lay down your life for your wife, if called to do so? Which is the way Christ demonstrated love for believers, as you consider the subtle ways this might be manifested, let me ask you a couple questions of how laying down your life for your wife might look. <clears throat> how does your schedule? How does your schedule demonstrate you laying down your life for your wife? How about your work life? How does that demonstrate a laying down of your life for your wife? This is a really difficult one. There is an abstract, difficult to determine, an essential balance of working well and working hard and being diligent and being faithful to provide for your family. We are called to provide for our households. And there is an abstract, difficult to determine balance of the call to be a provider and to give good things to our family and to help work hard for their benefit, and not working for our own personal gratification and fulfillment and desires in a way that draws us away to the other responsibilities that we have in caring for our wife as well. That's a hard one to determine. Seasons ebb and flow, commitments change, but there should be a preoccupation as we consider our work life with thinking about how our schedule, how our commitments, how our work demonstrates a faithfulness to the Lord in provision and working hard, a trust in the Lord to provide for our needs, and an eagerness to lay down our own personal ambition for the sake of serving our wives. We need to not be so absorbed in our own work and our own ambition and our own desires to where we neglect the spiritual needs of our family. How about how about hobbies? The things that you spend your time doing. After the kids go down to bed, after the chores of the day are complete, how does your Choosing of hobbies demonstrate a laying down of your life for the sake of your spouse. Before you commit to things, when you're asked to do something, do you you give thought to your wife? Do you give thought to how your commitment to this thing impacts her? Takes you away from the family, takes you away from commitments... We must have an eagerness to lay down our life for our wives. Number four, biblical imperative for our care, love of our wife, for being husbands is this. Love your wife as you love yourself. Love your wife as you love yourself. Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. Jesus is talking about the greatest command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We are to focus on her welfare, her desires, her well-being as much as you focus on your own. We need to love our wife as we love ourselves, And the point there isn't love yourself really well. Make sure you get that down and then you'll be able to love your wife. No, the the implied principle there is that loving ourselves is so intuitive. It's so natural. It just flows out of our being is a love of self. And you actually need to set that aside and you need to love your wife with that kind of impulse. Instead of loving yourself with that kind of impulse. This isn't love yourself well first and then you'll be well equipped to love your wife. No, actually set aside the love of self and love your wife with that kind of love that comes so naturally for you in the, being a lover of self. We need to love our wives as we love ourselves. This only heightens the call in love of our wife that it is just to be a perpetual part of who we are. We don't love our wives when we wake up in the morning and then we can kind of step out of that and we go to work and then we come home and now we have to re engage with loving our wives. No, we are to love our wives all the time when making a decision. We should love our wives. It should be on our hearts and minds in all things that we do. And one of the ways that this can manifest itself is by becoming skilled at drawing out our wife's preferences, drawing out our wife's desires. If we're to consider her needs above our own, if we're to prefer her, if we're to accept her, we actually need to grow skilled in understanding who she is. And listen, who, who my wife is today is very different than who she was at 17 when we first met. And so it's not something that you kind of over the first little bit of your relationship of getting to know her, you, knew, you know what she's like. And now you can kind of go on cruise control and just, hey, I know my wife and she likes this. No, you're constantly learning and understanding who she is and her desires and her preferences and what she's all about. And that's a lifelong task. Smed has said it, that he's a janetologist. (laughs) He's committed himself to eternally studying his wife on this earth. To know her. To love her. So become skilled in drawing out your wife's desires and preferences. It comes very naturally to think about what you want. We don't have to work hard to love ourselves, and we should cultivate a disposition where our minds are trained to think of serving our wife first. (coughs) And whatever it is. Dinner's over. What would be a blessing to my wife? Get off the couch, load the dishwasher, wash dishes. It's time to put the kids down to bed. I'm just exhausted. I've had a long day. No, lead. Be engaged in your homes. Love your wife first. What comes natural is thinking of what you want in that moment. And we need to train ourselves to want to care for our wife, to serve our wife, to think what would be a blessing for our wife. What, What involvement from me would be a blessing to my wife? Vacation plans. What would be a blessing to my wife? Family schedule. Devotions. Time in the word. Chores. Groceries. All of these things. What's a blessing to your wife? Learn these things. Julie enjoys flowers. She really likes Starbucks. I've learned that about her. She'd far prefer a uh, caramel macchiato when I walk in the door than a bouquet of roses. And yet every once in a while, the roses are nice. (laughs) You just have to learn those things. And you know what? I need to stay engaged because her coffee of choice might change next week. And I need to be able to know that. I need to be near to her. And just think through this, that if your call is to love your wife as you love yourself, your wife is never an obstacle to your own personal agenda. Which so often, that's where discontentment can flow in our hearts, or that's where strife can come, where we walk into our homes and we have an agenda. We have what we think that evening should go like. We have expectations of what we think she should have done. We have expectations of what her disposition should be towards us. And maybe she's, you know, had a hard day and she's not as peppy and joyful as we thought she should be or whatever the circumstance might be. And all of a sudden, whoa, my wife has just become an obstacle to what I thought was going to happen. We can never allow that kind of thinking. No, our wife is never an obstacle to God's agenda for us, to what our agenda should be. Our wife is the agenda. She is the agenda. And wherever she is, in any moment where we engage with her, we have an opportunity to worship the Lord Through loving her sacrificially, she is to be our agenda. When life is busy and work is slammed, do you work to make your family feel it so that they don't get in the way of all the things you have to do? Or do you conduct yourself in a way that oftentimes they're unaware of all the pressures that you're feeling in work? This is an area where I've worked to grow probably the most in the last couple of years. Is a, a tendency in my own heart that when my schedule gets full, I start to become um, quicker in conversations. Hey, is that all you got? Okay, I got to run, and and just trying to rush. Anything else? Oh yeah, uh, okay, okay, another. Yeah, I can talk about another thing. Yep. What what is it? <laughs> that is wicked. It's manipulative. It's selfish. There's no room for that kind of response. My wife is the agenda. What, what, what on this planet, aside from the Lord who calls me to care for my wife this way, could possibly be more important than her in any given moment? A project at work? And listen, I get it. We have appointments that we have to make and different things like that. And it's okay to ask the question, hey, is this something that's urgent? Could we talk about this later? I have, I'm have, i three minutes late to a meeting. Oh, no, we can talk about that later. Okay, great. Love you. That, that, that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is a disposition where we view our wives as an obstacle to our own agendas. We just can't have that kind of conduct with our wives. Love your wife as you love yourself. Number five. Consider your wife as more important than yourself. You see how these are so closely connected. These overlap in many different ways. Philippians 2 4, right? Consider others' needs more important than yourself. And the call is to look at Christ and his humility. We are to protect her from hurt and harm more than we try to protect ourselves. We're to treat her as we desire to be treated. Again, coming home after a full day with all sorts of expectations upon her, yet what kind of involvement from me would be a blessing to my wife? That's the way we need to shepherd our hearts. Whoa, 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 Josh. We have roles. I work. She cooks. She does the laundry. We don't want to confuse those things. No, Listen, I'm glad you have roles. What that does is that helps bring definition to the ways that you can go above and beyond in considering her needs above your own and step into your home in service. We need to give of ourselves our best. And how easy is it to come home thinking about ourselves and how much we've all done all day only to walk into the home with all sorts of expectations of how she must look and how the house must look and how the house must smell and what the kids should be doing. We need to come into our home ready to give our very best. The best athletes on the earth are highlighted not by what they do for the first three quarters of the game, but what they do at the end of the game, right? The, the best best players in the world, those, those who are looked upon and esteemed are the ones who, who can deliver at clutch time. Okay, So to think, I have gone to work, I woke up, I read my Bible, I helped out with the kids in the morning, I went to work, I was faithful, I even shared the gospel at work, I have been pleasing to the Lord all day. Listen, all you've done up to that point is only what is expected of you from the Lord. It's not, it's not a pass to now disengage from what God calls you to do. And the reality is you probably haven't done it as well as you thought. And as you step into your home, you need to bring your best. And that I'm exhausted doesn't get you off the hook. If you're, if you're a star basketball player, and they say, listen, okay, we're going to get you the last shot. You know, ah, <laughs> I made some really good shots already. Somebody else want to take this one? Okay. Unless you're LeBron James. That's not. <laughs> you need to be at your best. And I'm tired or it's the end of the day is, is not a reasonable excuse. It's not. We must consider our wife as more important to ourselves. So we give to her our best at all times, considering our wife's needs above our own. Again, it's not an obstacle to what needs to get done in your home. It's not an obstacle to rest that you must have. This is instruction from the Lord that we would be this way with others in the body of Christ. Again, how much more with our wife. And so we can trust God that this isn't an obstacle to our agenda. This must be our agenda when we come home. We must imitate Christ in our love for our wife, just continuing through Philippians 2. Our service to our wife is an outflow and an evidence of our love for her. And so we engage in various tasks to lay down ourself for her good. Biblical leadership is evidenced in service to your wife and family and others. You are to... Imitate Christ in the love of your in the love of your wife, and listen. Let your kids see this. Be a chief servant in your home. Show them what spiritual leadership looks like in your sacrificial service within your home. If if dad doing dishes is just a complete foreign idea in your home, don't let it be any longer. If dad vacuuming or helping out with laundry. Or whatever is a blessing within your home. Let them see you serve. Our attitude is commanded, letter C, to be the same as Christ who humbled himself by assuming the role of a slave. Nobody started higher and humbled themselves lower than Christ. There's no task in your home that is below you. right? All Whoever your youngest child is and all the chores that you give that one... Those tasks aren't aren't below you. Serve. Lead your family not by telling your kids all the things that they must do only, but do it alongside of them. Show them how to serve by serving with them. Well, they need to learn a good work ethic. Great. Teach them that good work ethic while you're helping them. Let them see the very things that you're instructing them to do in selfless giving care and service in your home. Letter D, true humility is evidenced in putting the interests and welfare of your wife and family before your own and by giving of yourself regardless of inconvenience or the difficulties involved. You've talked a lot about love, sacrificial service, humility, Christ's imitation. number seven, we're also called to lead our wives, to lead our wives. And all of the things that we've talked about this thus far are foundational. They must be in place in order for us to be effective leaders in our home, in order for us to be effective leaders in our home. First Corinthians, excuse me, 113. I love this passage. It says, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of a woman and God is the head of Christ. Just make, make, make an observation there. Christ is the head of every man. Okay. Who is Christ to look for to see leadership? His leader, Christ, Christ is the perfect leader. And he is the head of man. And, and the man is to lead the woman. He's the head of a woman. And yet God is the head of Christ. Christ, even in his perfect leadership, still humbly submits himself under the Father. And so the man in a marriage relationship, to know how he must sacrificially lead, looks to Christ. And the woman, to know how she humbly submits is to look to Christ and we need to just bask in the greatness of Christ. He is so astonishing. Astonishing. Lead your wife. You are to lead your wife because this is the position already given to you by God. It's not up for debate. The world wants it to be up for debate. You're to lead your wife. Does your wife beg you to pray with the family? Does she have to? To read scripture together? Is there a pattern of family devotions? Who disciplines the children when you're home primarily? Are you leading? Are you engaged in the spiritual disciplines within your home? Listen, you, we are called, letter B, to lead our wives as Christ leads his church by being a decision maker to whom she submits. And yet, C, you lead by seeking wisdom and decision making through the scriptures, prayer, wise counsel, and must consider all the other biblical imperatives in your decision making. So being the leader of the household, you are to set the pattern and set the trajectory and and lead your family forward. But you must do so with a humble considering of her needs above your own, of sacrificial love, of, of preferring her, of accepting her. This can really make or break your wife's view of leadership and how you conduct yourself in the home you can you can do a lot of damage really quick if you think that your leadership in your home is a platform for you to serve self. And so my leadership is my wife needs to do this because this is what I want, my kids need to do this because this is what I want. And hey, wife, you're not doing this good enough and I need to lead, so you need to hear my admonishment because we got to make sure we have, you know, this look in front of the church or Sometimes men, they really want to please the Lord, or they, they seem to really want to please the Lord, and yet they have leadership backwards. And so they domineer in their leadership. They don't give of themselves. As I said, we've talked a lot about self-sacrifice, of serving your wife's desires and needs above your own. And we must keep this in mind when we think about our leadership in our home. Spiritual leadership is dying to yourself for the sake of another. What this doesn't mean is that you roll with a high iron fist. What this also doesn't mean is that you're passive. Spiritual leadership in a sacrificial way doesn't mean you just let your wife run off a cliff. We must be engaged. We must know our wives. We must be near to our families. We must love sacrificially. We must be concerned with her spiritual well-being. If your wife wants what is displeasing to the Lord, we don't accommodate that. There may be at times a need to admonish your wife. Scripture is the authority in this, not your preferences. We don't admonish our wives towards our preferences. Remember, accept your wife. And your wife really should experience your praises and your the overwhelming tone of your interaction should be one of, of encouragement and praise and support, not rebuke. And when the time comes when you do need to rebuke your wife, your, your rebuke should be founded upon Scripture and done with much grace and compassion. And listen, sometimes men take this as permission to just slam their wives with every sin. Listen, the chief recipient of your expression of love covering sins, right? The call to to let love cover sins where we can. The chief recipient of the application of that principle for love to cover a multitude of sins should be our wife. In fact, I would encourage you strongly to make a practice of every sin done against you that you possibly can. Let love cover that. And if you're going to encourage your wife in holiness... Let it be in other areas. Humble yourself before the Lord in a sacrificial love and care for your wife. Every, every, every sin that you can cover in love against you by your wife, you should. Also, in considering the call to lead our wives, Tom Ingsted has said this, realize that no decision is a decision. No decision is a decision. If you're not involved, if you're not participating, you're actually making a decision to not be involved and to not participate. You should also not put your wife in a position to be tempted to take over your God-given responsibilities as the leader of the home. Don't do that. Lead. Direct. Serve. Be active, not passive in your spiritual leadership in your home. Number eight, provide and protect your family. Provide for and protect your family. Make sure that all the basic needs for physical sustenance, shelter, health, spiritual growth are given to them. Be engaged, be faithful, be a hard worker, be diligent. Adjust your lifestyle to your income, learning to be content. Cultivate contentment within your home. How, how does your wife hear you talk about your wage? Are you leading, are you protecting her from sin in the way that you talk about God's provision in your life? Oh, so-and-so got a raise and I got—I didn't get a promotion again. Can you believe that? I guess we got to just get, get by. Barely making ends meet. Don't bring that kind of disposition into your home. Guard her from discontentment. Point her to the faithfulness of God. Point her to God's faithfulness and God's promises. <clears throat> Is your wife a sounding board for you to come home and vent to? Don't let her be. Confess that as sin. Repent of that. How How tragic. That we would come home and be a potential stumbling block to our wives, teaching her to be discontent, to grumble, to complain. Provide and protect your family by not pursuing materialistic goals or lusting for what others have. How does your wife hear you talking about what others have? Do you see what so-and-so got? Do you see what so-and-so does? Did you hear where they went for vacation? Man, it sure would be nice to do something like that. Oh, well. No. Protect your family. Protect them from sin, from discontentment. Protect your family from, from excessive behaviors, from excessive work or hobbies. As much as possible, find hobbies that draw you closer to your family, not ones that take you away, that draw you closer to the Lord. Not that provide temptations. Protect and teach by exhibiting and being a good role model. Protect your family by being alert to what is viewed on TVs and computers, what you hear on the radio, reading materials that enter your home, or to be exemplary in these things. Be alert to friends and companions. Who do you let your kids hang out with? What influences do you allow into your wife's life? What books is she reading? What things is she listening to? Be involved. Again, don't dominate and make unreasonable demands, but be engaged. And where necessary, seek counsel and insight if you're unaware of certain authors or, or things like that. Protect your family from wrong teaching and doctrines. This is crucial. This is crucial. You need to be competent theologically to be able to care for your family, to be able to direct them, to be able to protect them, grow in that. Imperative number nine, understand God's design for intimacy in marriage. Understand God's design for intimacy in marriage. This is an act of giving to your wife rather than receiving. That's God's design. And understand that God's goal is not performance, but rather an expression of love. That's God's goal for intimacy is not some sort of an event, but a disposition of self-giving love for the other guard, your mind, make purity of thought, attitude and behavior your goal. Develop a biblical view of sexuality. What things are you allowing into your mind that shade and influence and impact how you think about intimacy in your marriage? Guard your mind. There's just, there's no immoral deed done in private where the impact remains solitude. And it is complete delusion If you think that you can fiddle around with sexual immorality when no one's watching and that it will not have a bearing on your life and it will not have an impact on others, primarily your spouse. Do not be controlled by sexual lust, which can lead to unreasonable demands on your wife. Don't be dependent on sex to build your ego. Do not seek to satisfy Your own lusts through pornography or other people. Understand that your body belongs to your wife. Understand that God does not want you to selfishly deprive your wife. There's much that could be said on that. Much to consider in understanding God's design for intimacy in marriage. Number 10. Cast your burdens on the Lord. Marriage is a wonderful institution given and designed by God. Marriage is not a bad thing. Marriage being in that institution, two sinners struggling to work through that can at times be extremely difficult. Being what God calls us to be independent of our spouse If they make it easiest or they make it hardest, the problem is still ultimately us. And it can be incredibly difficult, and we must cast our burdens on the Lord. We must plead with him for help. We must recognize our need for his strength. And we need him to sustain us as we seek to sacrificially lead in our home. The husband is to be the source of strength and dependability in the home, especially in times of trial. We need to be exemplary in this. We need to be exemplary in casting our burdens on the Lord within our marriages. We need to be exemplary in casting our burdens on the Lord in life so that we can lead and care and serve our wife in that behavior as well. We need to cast our burdens on the Lord and find comfort in him so that we can comfort others in our home. We need to remain calm, trusting God's sufficient grace in the midst of trials and hardship. We need to role model a thankful heart and a content heart. Letter E, we need to continually point our wives to dependency on God in order to do that. We need to continually be dependent on God in all things. We need to be quick to come alongside and bear others' burdens to love, to serve, to encourage, to support. And then lastly, imperative number 11, live with your wife in an understanding way. Live with your wife in an understanding way. As I said before, what on this planet other than the Lord could possibly be more important than your wife? Than your wife. <clears throat> most of the time, they're kids, so you can never control it. Most of the time, if you ask my kids who dad loves most, they'll say God most of the time. Then, if you say, well, who after that, then they'll say mom. And then, who after that, all the kids. My wife is my number one priority outside of the Lord. I, I, I'm stuck with her for life. <laughs> What a, what a gift. That's great. My kids, they're going to be out of the house in however many years. And that's sad and exciting and all of those things. My wife, we're one flesh. We're one flesh. She's a precious gift from the Lord for me. We need to live with our wives in an understanding way. I need to be sensitive to her, showing... Interest in her opinions and what is important to her. Again, spiritual leadership isn't simply running over our wives. No, there's a, an eagerness and an effort of exerting ourselves to understand her, to show interest in her opinions, what's important to her. Be sensitive to her. Be compassionate and kind and considerate. <coughs> I think I'm just about done. Be compassionate and kind, considerate to her. Part of the not being jealous of her, we need to not be threatened by her gifts or holiness or service. We need to encourage those things. (coughs) We need to seek to help her, bring encouragement in areas where where there's growth that needs to happen or change. We need to be willing to accept admonishment from our spouses. How easily approachable are you in your home? To live with your wife in an understanding way. If she has a complaint, does she feel like she can come to you? (coughs) Or does she feel like she has to walk on eggshells around you? Uh, Husband, um, with the kids there, you kind of, sort of, um, raise your voice a little bit. (sighs) What? I never raise my voice! (laughs) No, can she come to you with concerns without you being threatened or defensive? (coughs) Confess your sins to her. Be willing to confess your sins to God with her as a witness. Lead by example. Make a habit of seeking her forgiveness. Be understanding and a good listener. Encourage her daily. Look for ways to compliment your wife. Your wife should hear far more praises from you than anything else about what you're thankful for about her, what you're encouraged (laughs) of in her. Tell your wife that you love her. Tell her why you love her. Encourage her. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for these instructions from scripture. Thank you that they are for our good, that they are for your glory. Help us to be exemplary in them. Help us to grow in them. Help us to be faithful husbands for the single men. Help them to embrace These principles that they can now in their lives as they demonstrate love for others and are active in cultivating these characteristics and traits so that if you have marriage for them in their future, they would be able to step into that marriage in a God-glorifying way. Thank you for this morning. As we enter into the rest of our day, I pray that we would be worshipful, that we would be holy and pleasing to you, that we would be selfless, and that we would make much of the name of Christ, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.